Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogyourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. This time we actually get to do it live. We don't get to do it uh, that that often, but or I guess not live, but in person. In person. In person with uh, Sean Ewalt. Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for letting me stay at your place, right? Yeah, I'm up here in Minnesota for the Ames and Rules Clinic, and you offered to be my chauffeur and let me stay at your place. So appreciate all that. Yeah, absolutely, man. You come all this way, it's probably nice to not have to pay for a hotel room. It it, it it's a perk. Yeah, it de it definitely is a perk. But uh, honestly, it's just it's fun getting to travel and getting to see people in person again uh, on these events. The Ams and Roll Clinic. That's something I've been wanting to do for years, and just really hadn't had the opportunity. And so, uh, you know, people might be like, "Well, hell, you just." Flew all the way to Minnesota for that. Well, at the time, there wasn't anything scheduled in the southeast when I booked sure. the trip. But, uh, yeah, having people like you that kind of offer up your, your home and, and space makes it a heck of a lot more stomachable and uh, digestible, I guess, on the, on the cost. Well, glad to hear it. I'm glad <laughs> so, it worked out. So uh, we're here to do a profile, man. You, you've you heard them. It's, it, a lot of people really like them. They're, they're really relatable. So let's go ahead and start off with the obvious where we always start. Drop the pin on the map, set the stage, and tell everybody where we're coming from. And I just said Minnesota, but where exactly in Minnesota? Right? Yeah, yeah. So we're in, uh, in Bayport, Minnesota right now. It's on the uh, east side of the state, um, almost right on the Wisconsin border. Okay. We've got, you know, maybe... Uh, half a mile, quarter mile that way to the river, and then Wisconsin's on the other side. So how far, are you closer to like good grouse hunting in Wisconsin or closer to good grouse hunting in Minnesota? Both. 
So it's like even distance. It's even distance, but I actually spend more time in western Wisconsin hunting grouse than I do in Minnesota. I don't know if there's any true science to it, but there's much larger population centers in Minnesota within proximity of reasonably good grouse cover than there is in Wisconsin. uh, That's what I was about to ask, because it seems like a lot of people that are like on the border between both states spend more time in Wisconsin. And I was about to ask you why. So it sounds like you're just trying to get away from some of the pressure. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it's anecdotal. It's just my own observations, but I really have come to believe that I can drive the same distance to, you know, a very similar cover yeah. with less pressure. I got you. And is it, is there that big of a difference in the out-of-state license in, in Wisconsin, like cost-wise? I don't even pay attention to that <laughs> stuff. Buy, I mean, I buy so many of them each year that I, I try not to even look. And that's one beautiful thing about what we do, the small game licenses, is like, while some of them aren't exactly cheap, they're usually affordable, right? Yes. So... I went through a phase probably, I don't know, five, eight years ago where I was out west doing a lot of big game trips. Okay. And uh, the dogs are what really got me dialed back from that and more focused into Upland. But it's been kind of nice to pay $100 for a tag and not $700 every time I want to go on a trip. And then eat tag soup on that. A so lot you spend, of tag soup. Yeah, Absolutely. you spend $700. That doesn't mean that you're coming home with anything either. No, just a nice backpacking trip with some beautiful scenery <laughs> in the mountains. Yep, it's an expensive uh, hiking or, or exercise trip, right? Exactly. So you mentioned the dogs got you back into the upland world. Like, How long ago was it that you got into the dogs? Yeah, so I've had dogs around me most of my life. Um, the first dog that I had that I owned on my own um, probably 15 years ago, roughly, was a Brittany. Uh, common story, you hear it a lot, but went out, got a dog, literally out of the newspaper. Turned out to be a nice dog, uh, but just well, a meat so dog. So you're lucky there. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, hunted together, tons of productivity. It was a nice dog, but I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't involved in NABDA. I wasn't involved in the formal training. You know, I just went out and hunted the dog. Um, and when that dog passed away, I'd already been looking into Navda, already been trying to decide what I wanted to do for my next dog, um, settled on a poodle pointer. I was heading in that direction. I had my name on a litter. And uh, when I got that dog is when I really got going and started in this stuff. Yeah. Um, that got me into, you know, our local Minnesota chapter here, showing up on training nights, um, soaking in as much of it as I possibly could. I think you and I talked about it yeah. a little bit earlier today, but... When I first started with this chapter, we had, you know, weekly training nights, a couple nights a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I went out there and I was amazed by some of the dog work I saw, you know, and I quickly started volunteering, went from bird planting to gunning and then walking along with the gentleman that led our training groups and learning from him and um, really got me sucked in pretty quickly there. Yeah. So I definitely want to touch on the chapter and and all the events and opportunities that you guys have but what about the poodle pointer what 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 was it about that that made you finally okay this is it you said that you're bouncing around from breeds or trying to figure out what you're wanting to do what what about those dogs that breed particular that kind of okay that's it that's what i want to go do yeah you know it started with versatility for me um and not at all that britney's aren't versatile but mine was not <laughs> i didn't know what i was doing with it you know it's a good field dog and that was about it 
Um, so when I started looking at, you know, I had a aesthetic idea of what I wanted a dog, you know, I wanted a bearded dog. I wanted a wire hair dog. Um, so that narrowed it down pretty quickly right there. And then I did spend a little bit of time looking at other breeds. Um, what other, what other breeds did, were you considering uh, for breeds? Griff's is where it started. Okay. That was the first dog that I really started looking at, went out, visited some breeders, met some dogs and, um, brought my wife along to one of those and, and she just wasn't feeling it. <laughs> Uh, nothing wrong with the dogs. Very nice dogs. It just wasn't the griff. The griff doesn't just didn't sit right with yep, her. It was not for her. Fair enough. Um, so that made my list even shorter. Okay. Which you know I then landed on poodle pointers. So what was it about the poodle pointer that she was okay with, but not the griff? I mean, yes, they look different clearly, but they're not that different. Like, was it more than just looks for her that kind of steered her away from I, it? I really think it was primarily looks. Okay. And, uh, you know, the, the first poodle pointer that, that we have and, uh, not a slick coat by any means, but it doesn't have, you know, that woolier coat that you'll sometimes see in a griff. It has furnishings, but not to the extent that you'll sometimes yeah. see in a griff. So it's almost like dipping your toes in the ugly dog world, you know, <laughs> but not, getting in there with a, not, a bearded dog, but not, not full, fully committed. Yeah, not full Fabio blowing in the wind exactly. type of hair. Yeah, I got yes. you. I got you. So how did that plan out? You ju- you jumped in, like you, f- you f- found the dog or the poodle pointer that worked with you and your wife. How did that plan out did it live up to all your hopes and dreams it did you know that that dog i'm really happy with you know i i told you i jumped in i started learning a lot on training nights yeah you know i started getting very involved in training nights to the extent that then i was helping a lot of people and not necessarily putting in the work of my own dog and found a couple partners to do some training with on our own smaller groups and you know really started to put the time in with the dog and i I love her i mean i love everything i've got with that dog um, so got, I was about to say, what, what, testing wise, like, what have you done with her yeah, so far? Yeah. So we ran NA, um, first year, everything went fine there, started building up for utility testing at age two, I was in a spot where I, I could have ran her, but that big game thing I referenced earlier got in the way. I had a, a trip all West, so I opted not to run her that fall. And even that I was thinking about this pretty recently, how my mindset has changed around NABDA and testing and traveling to test, you know, at that time, which now is about four years ago, I had a, a conflict for our local chapter's fall test. So I just opted not to run a dog, <laughs> you know, looking at it today, I would jump in my truck and drive to another chapter if I needed yeah. to, but it's just the evolution, I guess, of, of my involvement here. Yeah. Uh, but we ran uh, utility the following year. So when she was three, had a good day, a little hiccup on the duck pond, didn't get through that year. Um, and then I ran again in 2020, and we qualified for the Invitational. She ended up getting a 202. Okay. Um, had a nice day. A little bit of luck involved, but she's a nice dog. So um, that went well, and now we're just preparing for the Invitational. Yeah. How's that going so far? Is it? How's the the jump from utility testing into the invitational i mean mindset is it a little different from you or is it just business as usual yeah i'd say to an extent it's business as usual but i qualified two years ago i had that covid year exemption to run down <laughs> yeah. into to new mexico so i opted to take that time and do it you know i also got another puppy in between there that we yeah. haven't talked about yet but you know i was putting a lot of time in her last year so i didn't want to do the envy prep and get a pup up and running for the hunting season makes sense 
Um, so I think because I've had that amount of time um, since the utility pass, I haven't been cramming the training in. You yeah. know, I've been able to take it at a good pace. For me, is is the first time I'm doing this stuff, um, and that's left me, I think, a little bit more confident. Yeah, I, when that when I saw that they did that, I'm like, man, if you have the option to do that, you just you kind of have a whole nother year to prepare for it. As take the option if you can. So it makes all the sense. It, it, it's kind of interesting to hear that. I think you're the first person that I've talked to on here that has taken that exemption. And Yeah, I don't know too many people that have. And, yeah, you know. they just went for it. Anyway, it's just like, oh, I was going to go this year. Let's go this year. But I'm sitting here like, man, you, you can buy some really good training time there. The other thing that was nice for me in that is I did have a lot of friends and training partners that went last year. Okay. So I spent the majority of my training season with them helping them prepare their dogs of course training mine alongside them um but i didn't have that date on the calendar there wasn't an urgency to get there to push too hard so i got to take that at a pretty casual pace which um, hopefully pays off we'll find out i was about to say it's coming up here soon it's not too far off like how are we looking where where's she at is there something that you're kind of lacking on right now or or is everything kind of progressing as planned I'd say it's progressing as planned, generally speaking. My field work, I'm feeling pretty confident in at this point. Um, The one thing for me that um, I'd say I'm least comfortable in, and it's even more so a a gap in my training, is blinds, just because it's something I haven't done before. You know, I've got her crossing small water last year. We're not doing big expanses of water. I can drive her to piles. She's doing, you know, pretty decent land blinds. Um, but now I just got to get out there and start stretching them out farther and farther across some different water. Yeah, now it makes sense. Well, what about the second dog? You just said you got the puppy. Where are we at on that? On that? Another poodle pointer. I'm, I'm here, you know, I, I met him. So a little bit different looking dog, you know. Yeah. It's, it, so... The woolly mammoth look kind of shied y'all away on the first poodle pointer, but the second one worked out That's just what fine. we got. Yep. <laughs> That's what you yep. got. So. so she's a nice dog. Um, we ran the NA last year. Um, no plans to test her this year. Um, certainly will move forward and test her, but again, this year. It's not a race, not a rush. Invitational is the priority for me. I've got plenty of time to keep working with her. So she's in a decent spot. She uh, haven't put much steadiness on her yet, Um, and it's been very intentional. I just want her to go and run and expand, and and I think that's been working because initially she didn't have quite the search that I wanted. Um, So I was cautious to put too much pressure on her around birds yeah. You know, even push force fetch a little bit farther down the line than I normally would have. And um it's all coming together right now though. And that's the stuff that you learn from doing or not doing, just just training dogs in general, is you you learn something from each dog and so you just having the wherewithal be like, Hey, this dog mentally isn't ready for force fetch or you know it's like we need to work on search and just expansion of you know the confidence what independence whatever you want to call it uh that's that's the stuff i tell everybody like what you learn on this dog right now even if it's your first one you're going to be able to apply to the second dog and every dog's different so that's the important stuff right there so it sounds like you're you're moving right along on the the testing and training portion of it what about the hunting like what 
what was your big appeal? What was your goal when you got into the bird dogs? What type of hunting were you wanting to do? And you're living in Minnesota, so I'm assuming rough grouse and woodcock falls somewhere into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we do a lot. And, you know, if I go back to when I was getting into it, it was it was rough grouse. That's what first got me into the uplands. It was, you know, some uncles of mine. And then as I got into to high school and we could drive, you know, and then I had some friends I went and, and we used to go and do that dogless all the time, just walking up grouse you know basically still hunting our way through the woods um and as time progressed and i got you know more serious about it got my own dog um then i really transitioned into pheasants primarily um my wife's family grew up in southwestern minnesota um we have a place down in northwest iowa just across the border okay you know surrounded by pheasants so once you have a place to stay and sleep and you know not be paying for hotel rooms as you travel i just kind of gravitated to that and really got into into the pheasants what 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 about the pheasant that appealed to you so much you know i know that i you know iowa pheasant you know that's kind of a a a storied thing in of itself but what uh what about pheasants kind of drew you away from rough grouse which was kind of what you were first targeting yeah honestly it's it's availability and then just proximity to our cabin okay nothing more than that i wouldn't say they're my favorite bird to hunt I enjoy them. I hunt them a lot, um, but they uh, they get my attention just because they're there. You know, yeah. I can hunt them pretty readily in a, a weekend. I don't have to travel too far to go and get after them. I got you. Even where we're at here, I mean, we haven't driven around the neighborhood much, but if we go, you know, a mile down that way, I've got a WMA that's got wild pheasants in it. If we okay, go two miles that way, I've got them, and you know, I'll run on them. You know, when public grounds are open and running dogs in the spring i don't really hunt them much but i'll so, get out there and use them for training opportunities I, I didn't i you know maybe i knew and i forgot but i i don't i guess i didn't realize that pheasants were that readily available within minnesota you know you hear iowa and some surrounding states obviously you know the dakotas and everything i mean it's like you're kind of central in a couple options to go to but like having wild pheasants just down the road from you that close that i guess i i I wasn't aware that they would be that available to you here yeah minnesota's got pretty good pheasant hunting um i would say that it's on par with iowa in in a lot of cases you know really and like every other bird it's a little cyclical up and down depending on the weather but if there's habitat there there's there's birds there interesting so you just said that pheasant isn't your favorite one and you do pheasant over rough grouse what is your favorite one? If you if you could just go hunt a, a bird tomorrow, you know, blink your eyes and you're where you need to be, what are you hunting? Tomorrow, I would probably say quail. Um, Particular type ha- of quail? Yeah, and or? if I have to get more specific <laughs> for you, I will. Um, I would say bobs. Okay. Um, but... I don't know if that's because that's the last bird that I hunted and I can't get it out of my mind. <laughs> so you said this last night and it does ring true to where it's like your favorite thing to hunt is the last thing that you hunted, which is indicative of you have some good hunting trips if the last thing you hunted is always yeah. something stuck in your head. But it got me thinking, I'm like, you know, that that is kind of true for guys that really like to change up species, you know. Sometimes what we like to chase may just be the last thing that we kind of experience and we just want to go do it again. It is. Or it's 
the thing I haven't yet done, you know? Yeah, at grass the, is always greener at over At the test there. today, I was talking to some people about, you know, plans for this fall and dreams of chucker hunting and, then, oh. you know, mountain grouse out in Montana and all these things that I have yet to do that I would like to. So bucket hunt, what's your what's your bucket list? Like, if again, one species, one hunt, like, what are you doing? For me, if it was like this coming season, one bird to hunt that I haven't hunted yet would be sage grouse. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I, I'm I'm trying to plan that trip this year. Hopefully, I can knock that off the list. But what about the sage grouse appeals to you? I can give you my reasons, but what what is yours? I love where they live. I've done you know a fair bit of hunting out west and and a lot of antelope hunting for several years. I got into that and I saw sage grouse. I was in their habitat. I was very curious about them. Um, you know, obviously they're. Uh, you know, pretty unique bird to hunt today. There's not many places that you can go out and do it. And, you know, I'd like to just get out there and be in that environment and be a part of that and experience a hunt I've never done before. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Let's get into, back, let's go back to the chapter. You know, the, the chapter involvement was huge for you. I mean, I can see it out here. I mean, just obviously the Minnesota chapter is, is if it's not the biggest one, it's the second biggest. Like, it's... It's one of the biggest chapters in which y'all have a very large membership base. Uh, talk to me about the benefits that you've experienced having such a large chapter and resources and training opportunities and nights and, and partners and stuff like that. But then also tell me about some of the challenges that might bring as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So benefits to, you know, truly any chapter this is is pretty consistent with and then i'll talk a little bit about a large chapter but, yeah you know just getting out there and meeting people with similar goals similar passion you know obviously i'm in a really different spot today than i was when i first joined this chapter six seven years ago um in my knowledge base my comfortability training dogs you know i went from being uh you know new guy pulling in to the the training grounds standing around the tailgate six years ago trying to figure out what i wanted to do to you know today helping out at a aims and rules clinic as a judge yeah um so for me i think having just the wealth of knowledge that we have in this chapter um helped me progress along rather quickly help my dogs progress along yeah. really well which which i'm you know grateful for and I, I i don't like forget that i don't look past that you know it compels me to give back it's the reason i'm on the board it's the reason i'm out there with you today baking in the sun it's the reason <laughs> i'm going out and judging tests now so i think just uh you know it's the people and then just uh support and training and partnership that you get from each other out there that keeps me coming back um chapter of our size you know there's money that comes with it quite frankly you know there's a lot of members they pay membership dues and we're trying to be very intelligent smart intentional about how we use that money and we're doing things like training clinics training seminars um you talked about what's the downfalls of a large chapter We've got a lot of great people, a lot of great dogs, and they all want to come out and train their dogs. Um, we don't have someone that could be out there every night to train a dog. So we're trying to use the benefits of having a large chapter to create opportunities for people to learn how to train their own dogs. And y'all are doing that in the form of small groups. Small group. Well, I'd say we're doing it 
a couple ways. There's the clinics, you know, we've yeah. had people come in and do a steadiness clinic, a force fetch clinic, an invitational clinic. Today we're at the Ames and Rules clinic. Uh, but we also try and get, you know, involvement from chapter members at those clinics. They're going to take that information away, be more knowledgeable, and then be able to go back and help those small groups. Yeah. It's one thing to receive the information. It's another to be able to apply them and also help others. Mm-hmm with that information right and so that's one thing to where i just listening to a few different people it's just like y'all y'all are all a chapter y'all know each other y'all are all involved but like even y'all amongst yourselves are asking each other are you doing the tuesday night uh course are you doing the third like it's really impressive to where y'all are kind of dividing up into smaller groups where y'all can get more purposeful interact or intense training or whatever you want to call it yeah and meanwhile it's like y'all are spreading the wealth a little bit better more efficient like i I don't even know the right words to describe it but you know you hear small groups it's like oh well i don't want to fracture off and and you know we have have the cool kids over here and the the jocks over here and the nerds over there totally yeah you know right but Y'all are finding people within the same area. We all need to work on duck search. I think about them as like training cohorts. We're trying to align people with, you know, other chapter members with similar goals. Yeah. Whether that's to make a great hunting dog, whether that's to get a utility prize or prepare for the invitational, we're trying to get people aligned with people in a similar place. Yeah. It's it's not a click thing, which, you know, I, I think a lot of organizations or chapters within other organizations you know that might kind of be what it first appears like but it seems like it, it it's working for you guys and so uh I, i'm i'm interested to see how this goes for y'all moving forward and and you know hopefully this is something that maybe like it works really well for y'all and other chapters can start implementing it as well yeah and i think i'm seeing that this year more than i have in the past with our chapter and you know it, it kind of is just building upon itself I saw the gentleman that we had dinner with tonight was talking about, um, he was teaching a guy next to him how to use Facebook, I think, is what he was doing (laughs) at dinner. But he was showing him a post on Facebook in our our closed chapter group where he just, you know, threw it out there. And he said, hey, I want to do some duck work this week. Anybody interested? And then three or four people chimed on and suddenly they're talking about getting together and, and training on a routine basis together. Yeah. Um, and it's happening organically. It's, you know, individual members taking the initiative to form the group and do it themselves. And that's the that's biggest what we thing need to do. is like each group, you're going to have a leader, if you want to call it that within that group kind of come up and start helping each other out. And you start ending up because we talked about it, you know, throughout the day. Every chapter is kind of the same to where you have the same five people that do everything, right? Every every test, every event, every every volunteer, every position, it seems to be the same five people. So you get a lot of burnout, you know. You, here it seems like you, even just separating into the small training groups, y'all are starting to have a little more people come up or get involved a little bit heavier is that accurate i think it is i think it is and it's really positive you know something that i i believe is really indicative of that i've seen it twice now this weekend here at the clinic and then two weeks ago um at a a test we hosted there was volunteers out there helping out that i didn't know 
I didn't recognize them. I've never seen them before. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of cool because it means there's people coming into our chapter that are new and they're rolling up their sleeves and they're jumping in to help out, um, which, I don't know, kind of warms my heart almost to see it's not the same, you know, five faces out there as the yeah. last time we had a, a clinic. Well, so give me give me your best advice for the first uh, for the person going to their first NAVDA training day in any chapter, not just this. You know, maybe they go to some small cha- smaller chapter like mine, and there there's not small groups, so to speak. Just give your best advice to somebody looking to get involved. They get their first dog. I have no idea what to do. But everybody says to go to NAVDA. I'm at NAVDA now. What? You got to put yourself out there. I think it just comes down to walking up to someone, saying hello, introducing yourself, you know, and offering to help out. It's yeah. it's really where it comes from. It, there's no magic bullet there. It's it, that's the same for everybody. You have to actually get off the tailgate and yeah. go talk to people. But it's as simple as that. And I mean, I've been in chapters, you know, all around the organization at this point, and you know, I think. I've never seen a chapter where you couldn't walk up and introduce yourself and say hello and say, I have a question, you know, wow, your dog just did some great work. Tell me how you got there. And someone's going to be very willing to tell you (laughs) all about their program, you know, and I think that's just um, the best advice I could give to to new handlers is, you know, get ready to shake some hands and introduce yourself to people and, you know, don't just sit back and observe, but get involved. It's it's really that easy, right? I mean, you you throw that flag up, somebody, you know, somebody's going to answer it and and hopefully help you out so with this being a profile we can start start wrapping this up but i asked the same two questions for everybody on the profile sure number one what's what's an example of of an embarrassing screw up you got involved you're training your first dog what's something that you just royally screwed up that you think back on it now and laugh because we all have those stories yeah this is something you and i have have gone back and forth a little bit on in in messenger i think and it has to do with pointing um and pointing in our dogs you've seen a video maybe of my older dog from a few years back that you know kind of soured on pointing she would do the work um, but she didn't do it with a lot of intensity. She didn't do it with a lot of style. Um, and I think it was clearly looking back at this point, a product of my training, um, too many birds, not doing it the right way, you know, pressure on the dog with the birds on the ground. And I'm not talking about hard pressure, you know, and this was, you know, even before I had the dog collar condition, some of this stuff was check cord work and advice I was getting from other people. And, um, thankfully people in the chapter that were more knowledgeable than me saw this and helped me understand what was happening and helped me figure out ways to get around it and work through it. Um, But as I look back at that, it's probably the single biggest training mistake that I've made. Um, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily embarrassed about it because it's just the reality of it and hopefully yeah. people can learn from it we're able to recover from it but well that's that's why we do these episodes because we've all done mistakes that you you just use the word embarrassing it's like yeah in the in the moment we can be like man i don't want other people to see this that's embarrassing but when you kind of step back and then you see enough people you help enough people at the NAMDA chapter I tell everybody like when you're when you're embarrassed either by yourself or your dog yeah that just means you need to go help other people yeah <laughs> because your your confidence is going to shoot through it's like oh i'm not the only one <laughs> okay absolutely so it's it's funny you say that uh the next question that i always ask is uh give me a uh your favorite episode 
that we've done so far on the GDIY podcast, a, a topic guess, something that you just really enjoyed, or maybe it was something that kind of helped you through a hurdle. Was there something that stands out uh, since we've been doing this? Yeah, I'm going to break your rule a little bit. I'm going to give you two. Okay. Um, and, the, and the first one is going to be really vague, and I'll be specific on the second one. Okay. But, you know, the dog training content specific to NAVDA, I enjoy Okay. I like to listen to it. I learn from it, whether it's, you know, you talking or when you have guests on the show talking, I just, I, I eat that stuff up. It's fun to listen to and you can't find it too many places. Yeah. Um, now the second one we've talked a little bit about already and it's, it's, you know, kind of a, a far cry from Navda dogs, uh, but the hound dogs, uh, your recent uh, coon dog episode, I just loved. It's something that, you know, as a child, I remember reading books about it, watching movies about it, you know, old Yeller and old Dan and little Ann and, (laughs) you know, tree and all these coons. I just thought it was the coolest thing and I've never experienced it. I've never been around it. I've never seen hounds run. Um, So just listening to that, I think is pretty fun for me. Man, I'm so glad to hear that because I I love getting, I love my bird dogs, uh, obviously. I mean, I don't think anybody can accuse me of not loving bird dogs, right? But is nice on occasion to take take that little week long break. You know, let's let's go do an episode on coon hounds or squirrel dogs or the hog dogs that I did with Travis way back when. A uh, little change of pace, but it it just gets back to hunting dogs. Yeah, you know, it's like what are we trying to do? Hunting dogs? Does it get any more hunting dog than hounds? Like, I mean, honestly, think about it. It's like when you hear the term hunting dog, what's the first thing that comes? Yeah. I mean, that was my vision of it as a child. That's really what I thought about doing. So uh, I'm glad to hear that. But Sean, again, man, we're going to, we're going to wrap this up, but you know, it was fun to, uh, you know, connect and just kind of put your story on here and, and, and hear about more what you have coming up in this Minnesota chapter. You guys have something special going on up here and, and I'm just glad to get up here, meet, meet all you guys. And again, thanks for driving me around, uh, Minneapolis for a weekend, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. (laughs) Thanks for coming out. And I appreciate the kind words about the chapter. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back out tomorrow and, and, finishing up this Ames and Rolls clinic and we did NA today utilities tomorrow so uh, I'm really interested to to hearing the debates and arguments on uh, steadiness tomorrow because it's going to be a fun day yeah it, it's it's fun and guys if you haven't checked out an Ames and Rolls clinic whether you want to be a judge or not go check it out there's there's golden nuggets of information there so uh, Sean again thanks uh, we'll talk soon and we're going to go ahead and shut this off Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance 
Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.